Now, as always, let's join hands with the persons on either side of us as we come to this time of prayer. With our hands joined to others and our heads bowed and our eyes closed, dear Lord, we come to you as part of your family, the part that meets in this place and this building and these people. But we thank you that we're part of a much larger family, worshiping around the world today in other languages and other lands, other buildings, other orders of service, other hymns, but all proclaiming our love and our faith for you. We thank you, Father. We're part of a worldwide family. Be with our brothers and sisters today around the world as they worship, and especially for those who cannot worship, either because of illness or because of political difficulties. We pray, Father, for all of those particularly today who are hurting, for those who have been uprooted, who are refugees, who have been forced out of their homes because of political circumstances, war, poverty. God be with them. We know you understand what it's like to be a refugee. Forced to Egypt. Ordered by Caesar to be born in Bethlehem. You had a purpose in all of that. We believe you have a purpose in what's happening in our world. Give us faith to believe that you are accomplishing your will and give us courage to be participants with you in the fulfilling of your will on earth. Bless this service for any here who feel alienated, alone, afraid, uprooted, brokenhearted, troubled. Speak to me and every person here. We need your clear voice, and we listen with open hearts. For we do pray in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Now I want us to all stand because Molly McCann is going to come and read the scripture. May we stand, please? Molly McCann is going to read the scripture, and Josh Hill will then lead us in prayer. So you hear the word of the Lord from one of the Lord's own. As Molly reads, you listen, and as Josh prays, you pray. Psalm 27, verses 1 through 3. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evil men advanced against me to devour my flesh, when my enemies and my foes attack me, they will stumble and fall. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then will I be confident. Now bow your head as Josh leads us in prayer. Dear Lord, thank you for this church. Thank you for us being able to be a part of it. Lord, we know there are people here today that need to turn towards you. Just help those people to feel that need today. Help Buckner now as he comes and gives the message. Help our hearts and minds to be open to hear and understand the message. Please help the people to have the courage and strength to come forward and make the decision you would have them to make. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This morning, about 4.30, our little dog, Princess, waked us up. The storm awakened her about 30 minutes before it got here. Dogs just have a sensitivity to barometric pressure or something. The Princess is 13 years old. Some of you have heard me, of course, talk about her, and she was the subject of a sermon preached many years ago 
It's probably still the number one Ashport tape that we've ever sent out uh, from this church. So Princess had to come and sleep with Martha and me. That is really fun. And um, so I got up uh, about 5 o'clock, about the time the storm hit. Uh, did any of you awaken also? Did it frighten any of you? I see you. Okay, good. Well, storms scare us. They, they do scare us, right? Prince is not the only one that gets alarmed over storms. Storms of all kinds can frighten Anything that breaks the norm begins to frighten. We all fear. We all have some fear. We don't all have the same fears, but we all have some fear. How many of you recognize that you have something you are afraid of? May I see your hand? That's most of you. Some of you are afraid to even admit you have fears. <laughs> That's okay. Uh, I, I get afraid when I come in here. Now, I know people don't believe that, and they think, oh, he's just, he's just joshing us. I'm not. I get very nervous when I get afraid, and I feel the responsibility of this. So I, I know what it is to be afraid. You remember reading The Shoes of the Fisherman by Morris West, that marvelous novel about the Pope, a novel in which he depicts the Pope as, as one uh, apparently did, maybe others have done also, would disguise himself and go out at night incognito in the company of a doctor or a nurse and visit some of the downtrodden and hurting people in the city of Rome. And they thought him just to be a parish priest, not knowing that he was his eminence, the Pope. And they were there in a home where a man was dying. The family gathered around, crying and praying and weeping, and the priest and the doctor were there to try to comfort the family. And the man died. And the doctor said to, his, to the Pope, to his eminence, it's time for us to leave. And so he left. When they got out on the street, the Pope asked the doctor, why did we leave? The doctor said in Morris West's novel, Your Eminence, they can handle death pretty well. It's life they can't handle. It's life that we're dealing with. And we all have some fears in life. I love the People's Almanac, that great big book that's about five or six inches thick that's great for vacation reading or put beside your uh, bed and just read portions of it at night. And then there is one, uh, one section, one chapter on find your phobia. Find your phobia. You too can probably do have a phobia. There are by official estimate thousands of them on the scene today. Specific phobias such as the fear of nude men, and women, ugly people, beautiful people, long hair, short hair, good deeds, bad deeds, and life after death. The little fears range from the fear of oneself, monophobia, to the fear of everyone else, anthropophobia. And psychiatrists say they already scientifically have labeled over 700 dreads or fears, although they've probably just started counting. Now, there are a lot of them. I want to mention just not all of those, certainly, but a few of them. One is, and here's a long word I can hardly pronounce, logis mechanophobia. That's the fear of computers. How many of you have that fear? Can I see your hand? Okay, I do. Uh, and machines, fear of machines. Uh, then there's the, the, the uh, plain old fear of uh, thanatobia, the fear of death. Uh, and optophobia, 
That's the fear of opening one's eyes. That can happen to Baptists, especially, I think, at times. Fear of seeing things as they really are. Now, how can anyone generalize about fears when there are such specific ones around as, here's another big word, archbutrophobia, the fear of getting peanut butter stuck in the roof of your mouth. <laughs> Did any, now some folks in the 8 o'clock service had that fear. Do any of you have that fear? Fear. Okay, that's okay. It's all right. These things, uh, we don't choose. They choose us. You see, a lot of these fears come upon us, not because of some failing in our life, some frailty or difficulty. It just happens. We all have it. It's, it's those unnamed fears, those things that sort of spring up out of my subconscious mind. Where in the world did that come from? Why am I afraid that, that sort of uh, pit of your stomach feeling? Get nervous about that. Actually, at least 14 million adults suffer from unreasonable fears of one kind or another. Dr. Leslie Solomon, assistant professor of psychiatry at Montreal's McGill University, says phobias can strike anyone. They do. And not all phobia victims are timid, shy, retiring persons. Most of these phobias spring from an unpleasant childhood experience, often reactivated by something unrelated to the phobia itself. Reminds me of a story I've told and loved very much. Frank Borum's marvelous books. Clyde Childers gave me a set of his of Frank Borman's books a number of years ago. And uh, it's a book of essays on all sorts of subjects. Marvelous writer, Christian gentleman. And he had a story in there about scarecrows. Talks about these scarecrows, a scarecrow out there in the middle of this field of white berries. And here are all of these birds flying around, some of them perched on the arms of the scarecrow, some on the straw hat of the, of the scarecrow, others around the feet of the scarecrow, feeding on those ripe, luscious grapes. But then in his imagination, he interviews one scarecrow perched over here at the side on a fence post. And he says to the to this bird, why aren't you feeding over there with the rest of the birds? Are the, are the grapes not ripe? Are they spoiled or frozen or something? He said, no, grapes are wonderful, I'm sure. Well, uh, can't you fly? Oh, yes, I can fly. I fly very well. Aren't you hungry? Yes, I'm about to starve to death. Well, then why don't you fly over there and get some of those, those ripe, luscious grapes? Fairies. And the bird said, well, because of that thing. That thing. You mean that, that pile of straw with a coat on it and a hat on it? You mean that scarecrow? Yeah, that scarecrow. I'm afraid. And he said, well, look, all those other birds over there, I know. You don't know what I know. I'm afraid of that scarecrow. And I got to thinking about some of the scarecrows in our lives. Obviously, we don't have time to talk about all of them. You have your own private stock of scarecrows, as I do. Maybe all of us do. But there's some rather general ones. I want to talk about them in just a few moments. Maybe they apply to you. Certain fears that we have. Fear of failure is one. Fear of failure. We don't want to fail. 
Now, the fear of failure, apprehension about failure, can be a very good or a very bad thing depending upon our reaction to it. The fear of failure can be a stimulus to us. It can challenge us and stimulate us and make us want to prove to ourselves that we can do certain things that maybe everyone else says we can't and maybe a part of us says that we can't. Fear can motivate somebody to get an education that doesn't think they have an opportunity to do it. They say, I'm going to prove I can do it. I will do it. A business loss or a business failure can sometimes inspire a person to say, I'm not going to give up. I'm going to do better. I can do better with the help of God and the experience I've had in the past. I will do better. So fear of failure can be a great stimulus to us, or it can frighten some people to the extent that they say, I don't want to ever have that happen to me again. It can paralyze some people. Give up. One way to avoid failure is not to try anything. So you see, the same heat that hardens the egg can soften the butter. It all depends upon our reaction. One man's meat's another man's poison. It all depends upon your reaction and mine to this scarecrow of fear. How many of you rode a bicycle the first time you got on it? I doubt if anybody here rode Well, after you got the training wheels off. I mean, I can ride it on training wheels. But you got the training wheels off, didn't you fall? Sure you did. What'd you do? I, I heard a no vote or a yes vote. I don't know what it was over here. Probably has some scars or scabs or whatever to show for it. What do you say to your child the first time they fall when they try to ride a bicycle? Say, oh, give it up. Don't ever try that again. Well, of course you don't do that to them. God forbid that you do that to them. No, you can do it. Come on, I'll help you. Get on there. Let's go. You can do it. And you learn how to do it. You face that fear. And you have people around you that encourage you to face that fear. Garrett of the German philosopher said, men will always be failing as long as they're striving for something. Men will always be failing as long as they're striving for something. And so the fear of failure can paralyze us. We have to war against that with the Spirit of God working in our own hearts and our own life. Now, as we get older, we begin to get a little hesitant about taking risks, and that can be very bad. One of the difficulties is some of us, as we get older, and all of us, all of us are a week older this week. We were last week. One thing we all have in common is we're all aging. You may get some wrinkles on your face. You don't need to get them on your soul. One of the things that can happen to some of us as we get older is, oh, we've got to be careful, cautious, conservative, but afraid, pull in. Oh, fear of change. Resist change. You can't resist change. The only thing that ever changes is change. In fact, death is a form of change. That's inevitable. It depends upon whether we're going to look upon that inevitability of change as a positive or a negative force in our hearts and in our lives. Living is risky business. And it's the risk that puts the vitality in it, the challenge in it, the energy in it. 
This church didn't get where it is and to be what it is because we spent all of our time just holding on to everything, being careful, cautious, not rich. What if we applied that to, well, let's apply it to light in this room. We, uh, we have some of the windows closed now, so we can show that tape that we show, uh, showed you a few moments ago. We can, we can put foil over all of these doors and windows. We can, just, we can just close off every opening where light might escape and then say, okay, we're going to save some money. We're going to save some money because we don't need to be paying city public service for all this electricity. We've got enough light in here. Let's hold on to it. So we're going to turn off the power and hold on to what we've got. Well, you know what happens at 186,000 miles a second. It's gone. Because that light is active, it's not static, it's alive and it's moving. And the same thing is true of your life and of mine. We were not meant to be mummies. We're not to be petrified people, paralyzed by a fear of failure. Jesus said to the man at the pool of Bethesda, been there all these years. What are you doing here? Well, don't, can't get in when the angel comes and stirs the water. I just can't do it, so I'm just going to stay here. He said, do you really want to be different? Do you really want to be well? Come on. Do you really want to? Or are you just wishing? Do you really want to? Are you willing to? Yeah. yeah. Okay, get up. Do not let your fears paralyze you. Let them be a stimulus in your life and in your activity. Move on out. Okay, fear of failure, fear of change, fear of others. Fear of others. Hear about the woman who said she wanted to be an individualist like everybody else? <laughs> We're so afraid to be different. One of the marvelous things about getting to be 50 years of age is you can be an eccentric and everybody says, well, yeah, that's the way he is. Be yourself. Oh, the importance of being yourself, not being afraid of others. Martha has given me a lot of wonderful, marvelous things through the years. In fact, she gave me this tie. I've been remarking about my tie, and it's pretty. I said, I don't have very good taste in ties, but I've got great taste in women. And, and I'd rather have that taste than this. Here, so you can buy this tie. It's terrific. And um, what was I talking about? Before? <laughs> oh, 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 I know what it was. Uh, Martha, a number of years ago, gave me uh, a little poem by E.E. E. Cummings, marvelous writer. And it's on my desk. I have it. I see it every day. And this is what it says. To be nobody but yourself in a world that's doing everything it can day and night to make you somebody else is to fight the hardest battle anybody ever fought and to never stop fighting. If God wanted you to be like somebody else, he would have created you like somebody else. You are a unique creation of Almighty God and he doesn't want to change you. He just wants to make each of us the better person that we already are. Fear of others. Oh, how paralyzing that can be. Ted Williams, that great Hall of Famer, Boston Red Sox, used to hit home runs in Fenway Park. And he said that when he'd round the bases, 30,000 plus people would be cheering him. He'd go around first base and around second base and around third base. And he said, right there on the third baseline was one person, every time I got a hit, every time I knocked a home run, Every time I came around third base, this person booed me. 
And he said, 30,000 people could be cheering, but all I'd hear was that boo birds. God saved the church from boo birds. We don't need that. And a lot of people have been victimized by boo birds. Don't let these people upset you. Jesus didn't, no one ever did more. No one ever lived perfectly as he did. And yet no one ever had more critics than he had. And the Bible says, beware when all men speak well of you. That doesn't mean you go out and court opposition and hostility. But it does mean God wants you to be who you are and the best possible person you can be. And I can promise you, you're not going to have everybody approving you. Never will. All of us want to be liked. I want to be liked. I want to be appreciated. It's just normal for all of us want to do that. But we do not need and we must avoid sacrificing the integrity of our own person to court the fickle approval of a crowd that will change every day. Hear about it. Paralyzing thing. Let, let me take a little detour. I want to pull off on the blue highway for a moment. You know what the blue highways are? Those are the, they're not the big expressways. Not the big interstates. They're the blue, blue highways. Great book about blue highways, by the way. By the way. <laughs> by the way, I'm going to take a little by the way detour here for a moment. I want to talk about people who, uh, who are boo birds for a moment. Who make life difficult for other people. People who say, I am going to tell the truth about this person regardless. I've noticed that people that say that don't have a lot of friends. I'm going to say this. I'm going to tell the truth regardless. Regardless of what? Regardless of what? Regardless of a reputation? Regardless of the fact you may be saying something that's not true? It's simply because you heard it doesn't mean it's true. Tell the truth. What if God called a press conference and told the whole world everything he knows about you? And about me? What if we use these screens here in this sanctuary and somehow God had produced a video we could put up that everything that you and I have thought, every desire we have had, every action of our lives from the day we were born up till right now, we'd all be on our way out of town. Look, oh, there are serious things that happen in people's lives and there are painful, hurtful, harmful things that happen in people's lives. And we do not need to be blind to that. But my friend, God says, never did he say that we're to speak the truth. He said we're to speak the truth in love. Speak the truth in love. How important that is. Fine Christian doctor, many of them in this church, but I was with one who's here this morning. past few days. And we were talking about things, and he was doing a little work on me, and uh, successfully. And we got to talking, and he's, he's in the kind of practice where often his patients are terminally ill. 
and they are dying. A very conscientious Christian man, and he said, I, I'm anxious and concerned about how to properly witness to people in that situation. I know they're dying. They know they're dying. And their family. They know they're dying. Everybody does but Nobody says much. He said, what I have done, and what he said is one of the most touching, marvelous, inspirational things I've heard. And I told him I was going to tell this story. I'm going to mention his name. I don't want to embarrass him, but I, I don't mind doing this. It's just a marvelous word. He said, what I say to you is that I, you're going to die, and I'm going to die. We're all going to die. I might die before you do. I'm walk out of this hospital and get hit by a car or have a heart attack or something. We're all going to die. And if you die before I do, when you see my father and my friend, will you tell them that I miss them? And that I love them? I told him I thought that's one of the most Christian witnesses I ever heard in my life. You're going to die. All of us are. That's the truth. But the love is, when you do, you're going to be loved. God's love. Family. Family. God. Your family. Speak the truth of love. Be kind one to another. Remember the little poem, there's so much bad in the best of us and so much good in the worst of us that it doesn't behoove any of us to be talking about the rest of us. That's good. Fear of others, fear of failure, and then finally, fear of God himself. For obviously Jesus told this story picturing a man or a woman's relationship to God. I was afraid, and so I hid what you had given me. I was afraid, and so I hid. Afraid, afraid, afraid of God. Impossible, if you know God as revealed in Jesus Christ. You say, but the Bible talks about our being, standing in fear of God. Properly translated, it ought to be standing in all of God. Not to be afraid of God, but to fear God, to respect God, to revere God, to worship God. To stand and wonder at His magnificence and His incomparable, unconditional love for all of us as revealed in Jesus Christ. That's what God is like. And He said, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Jesus isn't through. Listen. Listen to what he says after that great verse that we all know. Listen. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world. Not to condemn you, not to condemn anybody. Not to condemn the world, but that the world through him, through his love and through his grace and through his power and through his forgiveness that the world through him might be saved. You don't fear a God like that. You love a God like that. And you stand in all that anybody can love like that. 
Though our voices cannot sing it like Cynthia or this choir, I say it with all the fervor of my soul. I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene and wonder how he could love me, a sinner condemned and unclean. That's fear, respect, awe, acknowledgement of his grandeur and of his grace. One last word from God. You will find in the Bible 365, someone has counted them, 365 fear nots. One for every day in the year. Now the reason there's so many other men there is because the Lord knew we were going to be afraid a lot. He didn't just say it once, he said it 365 times. Let me read you just two or three of them. 56 Psalm, when I am afraid, I will put my trust in you. In God, whose word I praise, in God I have put my trust. I shall not be afraid. What can mere man do to me? Listen. My favorite psalm next to the 23rd. You will not be afraid of the arrow that flieth by day, nor for the destruction that wasteth at noonday, nor for the pestilence that walketh in darkness. Do not be afraid. 118th Psalm. From my distress, I called upon the Lord, and the Lord answered me and set me in a large place. Freed me, set me in a large place. Not suppress me, that word means to bury somebody to confine them and to restrict them, to suppress them, set me in a large place. The Lord is for me. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Hebrews 13, 6 echoes the same thought. A few hours before he died, Jesus looked at his disciples, at his disciples and said, you let your heart be troubled. Don't you be afraid. You believe in God. You believe in me. Paul, confined to prison, often with his back bleeding from the stripes of the lake upon him, broken bones in his body from the stonings that he received, scars on his arm from the shackles of prison. He writes to Timothy and he says, out of the crucible of everyday reality like few of us have ever tasted, God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of self-control. Sound mind, King James Bank. 2 Timothy 4.7 God has not given us not to you and not to me and not to us God has not given us spirit of fear power love sound mind underline that one, write it down, memorize it put it on the billboard of your mind and on the front of your refrigerator and it will strengthen you from this day on 
You afraid in a crowd this big to make a decision for Christ? Come on and face that fear and do it today. You know what? If I were a bird, if I were a bird, you know what I believe I would do? I believe I would get on the tallest building in town and look for scarecrows. Why? No one ever put a scarecrow in a barren desert. A scarecrow is an invitation to a feast. I mean, there's something valuable there or the scarecrow wouldn't be there. Satan will put scarecrows in the middle of God's grace because there is an abundance of grace there for you and he wants to keep you away from it. So explore those fears. Plummet those doubts and apprehensions. Investigate those scarecrows and you'll find the blessings of God abundant and sufficient for your every need. So this morning, don't let the scarecrow of this big crowd keep you from making the decision Christ wants you to make. These people are for you. They're not here to hurt. They're here to help, to encourage, to pray, to welcome. Whatever it might be, publicly, that you need to do this morning, we'll be right here. Trusting Christ, coming to join this church, coming for prayer, coming in rededication, just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me, O Lamb of God, I come. Well, we always have a big crowd at 11 o'clock, and any unnecessary movement can be very distracting. Except those that are moving in this direction, and that could be a testimony, the witness, and the help. Not a hurt, but a help. So as we stand and sing, I'll be right here. You stand and sing right where you are, unless you come this way to make a decision. May we stand. May we sing, and may as God has led you and your spirit this morning make the decision he would have you to make. Let's sing as you come.